0: ask me. What? The question you've been wanting to ask ever since we met. Are you Lithuanian?
1: Nerds, nerds talking. Nerds talking. Nerd talking. Oh, how those nerds
0: can talk. Hello and welcome to Nerdstalking. I'm Bill, and with me is Chad. Yo! If you've listened to previous episodes of our podcast, you'll have inevitably heard Chad prattle on and on about Nicholas Rogue, who's made quite a few interesting, if not particularly financially successful movies. So tonight, we're going to highlight this interesting director and some of his films. I guess you'd call Rogue a uh, cult director, would you, Chad, or not? I would call him... And just making movies that become cult?
1: No, I think I would call him an... Art film director, right? Yep. Because I think that there is not really like there's there is a cultish thing, but I don't think that cult. We you know we we try to figure out what what really is the definition of a cult film. A cult film is usually a film that is a failure. Yes. And then
0: it gets discovered later. Right. And then becomes popular. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it won't be any argument with that like trying to figure out what a post-apocalyptic film was like we did in a previous episode
1: yeah so i think that with nicholas rogue i don't think he's ever really had the great success no so it's not like he made something and then it caught on i think that they still sit in the world of the (laughs) obscure yeah you know like
0: like i don't think a cult film necessarily means that it's becomes financially successful just that people discover. No, popular. It. Though. Yeah, yeah, popular.
1: But I don't think Nicholas Rogue I has think really
0: that, made a popular film, you know, thing. I don't know. I'd say something maybe like Don't Look Now has become a classic horror film, right? Sure. And Felt so, Earth, I guess, or yeah, I, you know. Yeah, maybe Manifold Earth is interesting. I wouldn't call that a really popular science fiction film.
1: No. And yeah. but I would still call it I would I would go so far as to say that The Man Who Fell to Earth yep. was one of the most profound science fiction films ever made.
0: Right. Definitely. Because it has a, a message. T- dealt with a ton of stuff.
1: Yeah. And it, it, yeah. It, it comments on our world in a way that nothing else has. Yeah. Like they've, many have tried and many have. Yeah. But it's, you know, it paints us. Exactly as we are.
0: Yeah. Well, it kind of. It's just the ultimate fish out of water movie. It kind of reminds me of um, being there. Yeah, something like that, right? Just a guy, a creature, a, a a person that just is totally of something else, and just gets shoved into society and just bounces around off of people, right? So I think uh, David Bowie was his character in the film was not as passive as Chance the Gardner and being there, but still kind of the same thing. Like, kind of naive in a way.
1: Yeah. But we, his character wasn't naive at
0: all. Yeah. But he, yeah. he didn't see. So the story. So he didn't see things coming, right? No, he didn't see it coming yeah. the way it's funny. He'd be reacted to. Yeah. 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 Cause
1: he, he came. So the story of Manifeld Earth is he comes to earth from another planet. That's
0: a drought or something, right? Dying. Yeah. yeah. They're,
1: they've, they're out of water. Yep. And so he leaves his wife and children to, he builds a ship to go to Earth to get yep. water. Yeah. You know, which is kind of unusual. Like, how much water could you possibly bring back? But he had a plan. Yep, that's true. And they had great high science. Science yeah. that was leaps and bounds over anything we had. Yep. So he comes to Earth, and the plan is he comes here in disguise. Yep. Um, and he comes no, knowing enough about Earth that he in the disguise he he crashed lands here so his ship is gone yep he he has gold wedding bands so they've taken gold which has whatever value where they are and he uses that to pawn wedding I'm here to pawn my wedding ring yep you know to get money to start yep. to build the ship that he needs to take get the water and take it home right and so he starts develop uh, starts registering patents yeah. For things that we, you know, and they're all base patents for things that we can't even imagine. One of the things is the um, a Polaroid camera. Right. You know, or it's a, it's like an instant, some sort of instant camera. Yep. And I guess, you know, I guess it didn't exist yet. I don't know when, when Polaroids first came out. I thought- the Well, I think it's, pulled-
0: yeah, the Polaroid Land camera's been around since the 50s. Yeah, so like I think, like you were saying, it's a base patent, so the technology- that thing it would exist because of right. he's patenting, right? Some it's like undercutting these patents that are these devices that already exist. I yeah, think something like And improves that it
1: wasn't built on somebody else's idea. Yeah. So even yeah. though the result is the same as the Polaroid, the process to get there maybe is completely different. Yeah. But uh, so he starts registering these base patents, yeah. which get turned into things, and in no time he becomes, becomes like
0: the richest man in the world. or that's whatever, right. right. Yeah. I don't believe it. I can't believe it. You you have nine basic patents here. Nine.
1: That's basic patents. Do you know what that means? Yes, I think so. Do you really? I wonder. It it means, Mr. Newton, that you can take RCA, Eastman Kodak, and DuPont, for starters. In, say, three years, what would this be worth to me?
0: I'm a lawyer, not an accountant, uh, Mr. Newton. But I'd say it must be something in the area of $300 million. No more. More? I need more. What the hell for?
1: And what's amazing is that he discovers Alcohol. And he, he says, no, no, he just wants
0: to drink water. And then, yeah.
1: oh, no, it's it's uh, Rip Torn, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's it's oh, such, such a great
0: drink. Such a great role by Rip Torn. Like, I found that so bizarrely out of place. Like, uh, it was an interesting chemistry between David Bowie. Who, I call him naive. I don't really mean by naive, but he's like a waif. He's like helpless almost, right? Because
1: well, he's he's frail because he yeah, comes from a frail. different
0: different different gravity and then he got ripped torn was being ripped torn you, know, ah, you know he's a <laughs> professor or whatever right he was like a womanizing professor and yeah. it's like such an agent or his lawyer i think he's his yeah, lawyer like right? he's he's a very human character in this ethereal weird you know alien film right I like it when he said in the film, he threw he throws a wrench at uh, at David Bowie. Hits him right in the head. He goes, "If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball." Oh wait, that's a different film, wait, 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 a slightly wait. different film. Imagine the same actor in both those films. One was in the Man Who Fell to Earth, and then he was also in Dodgeball. <laughs> that's right.
1: That'll be the, the new movie. They're, see, hey, that's the future of film. They're all they're doing is remaking films now, right? Yeah. What if they just start combining films? You know, like the alien predator thing yeah. there's a, I see that a new predator trailer has dropped. yeah, too. I yeah. haven't seen
0: it yet, but directed oh done by Shane Black, who's a famous oh, Hollywood, yeah. did lethal weapon films.' Mm-hmm. Like, he's a very famous screenwriter. But, yeah. well,
1: you know so one of the cool things in in the Man to Earth yeah. is that he has some sort of insight. Like I do a I do a project called Canadian Culture Thing, and I deal a lot of old pictures, and I'm constantly you know yep. dealing with archival pictures and old ephemera and magazines. Yep. And as I walk through the city I live in, I I now look at intersections, and it's almost like a layered effect that I can look at an intersection and I know exactly what it looked like a hundred years ago or right. fifty years ago, and I I'm witnessing the change. And if anybody has come to Toronto at any time, or hasn't been here for a while. The city is growing at a rate that you know it's like it's like Hong Kong. It's before you know it, it's going to be just a wall of skyscrapers. Yeah, yep. And even living in downtown, it's it grows so fast. So I'm constantly seeing these intersections, and and it's like living through hundred years of history, you know, yep. or 120 years of history.
0: Yep.
1: It's interesting. And um, in Man of Felt Earth, Bowie has that same thing, but he has some sort of insight where he's driving in his limo. It's just so, so many great scenes when they stop at the gas station and he's yep. just so like, you know, Bowie was at his coolest. He was at his thin white Duke period, 1975. Yep. Young Americans had just come out. Yep. It was like such a great time, but he's driving in the limo, drinking his, whatever he's drinking in his rye yep. and looking out the window at, at sort of pasture land as he's driving by. And then the visions of like natives on horses running by and settlements you know, and he can sort of see all the things that were. Right. And so I don't know if it's something, that some of his alien ability, or if it's just like imaginative touch or whatever in that right? scene, right? Yeah. But it was a great, uh, great moment. Yeah. The uh, another great moment was at one point there's a sex scene. Yeah. With him and Candy Clark. Yep. And they're just like fucking. Hammered, <laughs> whacked out on coke. Yep. And they're in this, and it's a great, I love the snapshot of the wall because. In the, in the mid 70s there was a trend to have these wall murals. Yep. And it was a wallpaper that looked like a forest. We had one when I was a kid, we had one wall with like it looked like a like uh one house we had like a a forest and another one was like a yeah. palm trees on a beach. Right. And uh in that there's one whole wall that's done like a forest with I think birch trees. Yep. And there's a door in the middle that you can't see. But anyway, they're in there. And as a Bowie fan and a lot of Bowie fans, I've never heard anybody, you know, Mention this, but he sings. There's that sex scene has them, you know, having sex while playing with a 45. He's firing a gun and she's laughing (laughs) and he's just firing away. And the song, the the music in that scene is David Bowie singing Hello, Mary Lou, right? Which is the the girl's name in the film, right? Her name is Mary Lou, which is the Ron Hawkins song, right? That song has never appeared on any record I've ever seen. Well, but it's cool anyway. <laughs> hello, oh, that's cool. <laughs> 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 <Now> goodbye, <laughs> sweet Mary Lou, so
0: in love with you. Yes. Ay- you yeah, 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 yeah. Lou, oh. Shit. <laughs> <watched>, so hello. <laughs> Lou, oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Say hello, your prayers <laughs> was a a thing near the end where um bowie uh, it's it's weird like he was gonna mate with the girl or something and there was a weird like i get what he does is i guess he reveals himself Mm -hmm. his actual body and he's like a glowy thing
1: well he was in the bathroom taking because he has these coverings over his eyes right that he was taking off because it's you know it's like these heavy big contacts so that his eyes would look normal yeah um but yeah, so he gets discovered, and uh, oh, before that though, it's he's I guess it's kind of like an Elon Musk character. Yeah, you know, so he's dab Maybe Elon Musk based himself on David Bowie's character. <laughs> man, who sold the world like he's like this great uh, inventor and yeah. great idea man. Yeah, and so at the end of as uh, near the end, Bowie's character is, uh, has finally built the ship, right. and it's a huge spectacle, red carpet affair where he's going to leave. Yep. He's going to blast off and under whatever pretenses and then he gets accused of being an alien or she reveals, she snitches on him or something. Yep. Is she, right. I don't know if she does. Yeah. Anyway, somebody finds out, there was two different women, I think maybe one of the women was the one, she right. gets cancer because people started getting cancer by being near him. Right. Which is very much like Doctor Manhattan in, um, yeah,
0: and yeah, the Watchman, which
1: is probably lifted directly from that. So We've, Alan Moore takes yeah. from
0: Nicholas Rogue. Yeah, like uh, Doctor Manhattan was kind of like that. He's kind of a ethereal, not really caring too much about humanity. Has, Scientist had his head somewhere else, thinking about bigger things. Right? Yeah,
1: and That's you true. know, and he hated no hair and yeah. all those things. And
0: yeah, he was uh, a bit more muscular than. David Bowie, but... But it's a comic book. And so uh, the ship is about to go.
1: Then the authorities pick him up on this accusation that he's an alien. And they want to start looking at him. And they want to x-ray his eyes or some sort of thing. And he was saying, no, no. It was very tragic saying, no, if you do that, they won't come off. And eventually they, they zap him. And so the eye things don't come off. And so right. he can't remove them. He's trapped behind these fake eyes. Um, I remember that. Yeah. So then in the end, they dismantle his ship. He loses it, you know, for whatever. And he just becomes an alcoholic. So he came to her and then they, they go back to his home world and you see his family dead in the sand. They didn't make it.
0: Feel good movie of the year. Yeah,
1: it's it's a tragedy, which is, I, I'm i a big fan when somebody can execute a tragedy in film. Yeah. You know, I but that's that why you're European.
0: That's why you hated Rogue One so much.
1: Well, no, there was a happy ending. Didn't they all survive because they hid in a refrigerator? Didn't we determine that? On the beach. <laughs> they didn't get blasted. Refrigerator projected them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> it must have been while you were shielding your own eyes because it was so <laughs> tragic. Yeah, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Great, great film. Uh, available in Criterion as well. Yeah. No, you know, not easy to watch. Like you gotta follow. Like you said, it's very profound. It's a lot of different meanings. It's uh, it's a lonely film, though. It's yeah. a, it's you have to be. Yeah. You know, I've said before, I like
1: lonely films, and it's a totally. And I guess that's what I like about Nicholas Rogue films. There's a loneliness in all of his films, but it's not bleak, right? You know, like there's a. It's just lonely,
0: right? right. Uh, yeah.
1: But Man of Felt to Earth was a. A masterpiece. Yeah, you have a favorite uh, Nicholas Rogue film?
0: Well, um, my favorite one probably his is probably his most accessible, and that's Don't Look Now. A great horror film. Donald Sutherland. Like you know, this the great thing about Nicholas Rogue. Just like we said about the man who fell to earth, is he's um not cookie cutter A B C. You know, all in a linear line. He's uh, a, a really interesting filmmaker who plays with kind of place and time and uh don't look now is a really off-putting film like it's it's kind of like the shining in a way that the way it's made is off-putting it's not a horror film where it's shit popping out at you it's not you know speaking of the shining it's not stephen king's you know it remake shit's just a fucking it's a jack-in-the-box you know jump scares but don't look now it's just very it's built really well it's unsettling you know it uh has deals with a lot of premonition and him seeing himself juxtaposition yeah one
1: thing reflecting against another thing yeah exactly so you think it's one thing it's not necessarily that thing that's right and he plants the seed so you believe it right without without any reason to believe it
0: yeah and then, of course, like in every uh, Nicholas Rogue film, I, I think he's kind of a sex maniac because he's always got to have a real raunchy sex scene. And Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland get it on pretty hard. And one scene where they're kind of they're trying to get over the death of their daughter that dies at the beginning of the film, and they go to Venice. He's got a job. He's renovating a church. And hit uh, your mic a little harder there while sorry, I'm talking. Sorry, I was attacked by a little girl in a red coat. <laughs> that's not a little girl I'll save that for oh spoiler. see you're spoiling I'll it I'll save it for the spoiler i trying to not episode. spoil it <laughs> but uh, yeah great really great film and I like Donald Sutherland as an actor I've always liked him he's a really interesting cat who's got always got shit going on behind his eyes you know great actor he is a great actor yeah
1: his son's a good actor too yeah Keith Sutherland is good he's, he's done some great solid movies yeah. but Donald is pretty impeccable yeah. I don't know. I can't think of off the top well, of my head. Well, just think
0: of the great films, right? Clute, uh, MASH. You uh, know, Body Snatchers. Body Snatchers. Definitely. He was... Uh, now he's always like the um, corrupt old politician. Yeah. Well, he's uh, he had his... Um, I wouldn't call it a comeback because he hasn't really built it in anyth- anything, but he was the president... W- was it North or something? In uh, the Hunger Games. That Snow. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's president Snow in the Hunger Games. Not to be confused with President Snoke, <laughs> <laughs> who was in The Last Jedi, <laughs> who didn't see it coming. <laughs> didn't see Kylo if mis- bisect him, Mr. Emperor. <laughs> Do you know Nicholas Rogue uh, started, he, of course, he started as a cinematographer, but he was a cinematographer on The Mask of the Red Death for Roger Corman. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. He shot that and he also shot Truffaut's Fahrenheit 451 based on Bradbury's. Which is story. being remade. It is, actually. Yeah. Here in Toronto, is in fact. Really? I can smell the smoke now. Yeah. I'm burning books right now. So so much is filming
1: right now. I was just in an episode of Titans. Right. It's very exciting.
0: Spoilers. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I have to keep an eye out for you. What is that show about, it's, Titans? It's about the Teen Titans. Really, is it? Yeah. Oh, God, is that what it is? WB.
1: Oh, shit. Yeah, I was in the scene with... I was in a scene with... Uh, with Starfire? No, with Hawk. No, Dove, Dove, as in Hawk and Dove. Dove. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I don't know if they, If it's been revealed that she's a character.
0: Let them come. Come for us. <laughs> um, I've never seen this film, but uh, during my research, I uh, looked up a film by Nicholas Rogue called Bad Timing. Right. made in 1980, starring Art Garfunkel. I don't think Art Garfunkel was in enough films.
1: That was a pretty cool movie. That was a really weird
0: 70s-ish film. Yeah. Like, well, Nicholas Rogue makes weird films. <laughs> he does. This movie, Bad Timing, was distributed in America, I think, or maybe in England, by the RANK organization. And uh, an executive in that RANK organization called Bad timing. A sick movie made by sick people for sick people. So that's like a great ringing endorsement from your movie distributor. And while Art Garfunkel was shooting the film, his girlfriend, Lori Bird in New York, killed herself. Talk about bad timing. (laughs) (laughs) And actually another thing I read about, which is interesting, is uh, bad timing won the highest honor at the Toronto Festival of Festivals. Remember when it was called that? Festival uh, of Festivals. Yeah, that's what the TIFF was called. Right. Do you remember that? I read that. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, I remember that. It was called the Festival of Festivals. Till when? Which I think, I don't know, but I think they should keep, uh, they should go back to that. Yeah. The Festival of Festivals. That's what the Toronto Film Festival is called.
1: That's right. And, and send it a, a shout out to all the other festivals that they can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> can, you can suck it. Exactly. Sundance, suck it. We are the festival of festivals. Yeah. I wonder if no. see, I think first time I went out to the festival, I saw Leningrad Leningrad Cowboys Go America. Right, which is this amazing offbeat film about these this Russian band with these long pointy pompadours yeah. and long skinny pointy boots on tour, and then one of the guys dies, so they keep him in an ice box on the on the top of the car nice. for the entire duration of the film. Another film that Nicholas Rogue, like, I guess, along with Man of Felt Earth and Don't Look Now. Yep. Don't Look Now? Don't Look Now. Yep. We just want to call it Don't Look Down. <laughs> don't Look Down is a song. Anyway, whatever. Unless, I, I won't digress for that one. Right. But um, two other films that were done pretty close to together. One was Track 29, which I've talked about before, starring Gary Oldman in search of his mother who gave him up for adoption. Yep. And so he tracks down... The woman he believes is his mother, played by Teresa Russell at yep. that time, the married to um, Nicholas Rogue, Yep. And she is married to uh, um, Christopher Lloyd, who is obsessed with trains, and he has converted most of his house to incorporate this train obsession where he has train tracks running all over the place. And he's a dentist, and at his office he's having a sorted affair with his less-than-sexy assistant, played by Sandra Bernhardt. And they have right. a weird, fetishy, spanky relationship <laughs> with rubber gloves.
0: Oops. Just imagine scenes with Christopher Lloyd and Sandra Bernhardt.
1: Yeah, and he's he's done up very straight like a dentist, right? Like he's not, no crazy hair, nothing.
0: Yeah, he's not Doc Brown. No.
1: And uh, it's a great movie. The movie starts, and you talk about an opening scene, like you can often tell how good a movie is by how interesting the opening is. No, not always. Like Ghost Ship has the best... Filmed opening of any horror film I've ever seen in my life, and it is a lousy movie. <laughs> yeah, but the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes of that film it should just stand alone as a movie that itself. Though with
0: uh, what's her name from Career Opportunities? What's her name? Oh, uh, um, and The Hulk, yeah, it's her, isn't it? Requiem for a Dream,
1: uh, Connolly, Jennifer yeah, Connolly. Was she in that?
0: I think she's Maybe. the girl, yeah, she's a woman gone to it just has, like, there it's, it's how the how it became a ghost ship and the,
1: yeah. the wire snaps and starts cutting everybody. It's just like <laughs> it is a masterpiece of an opening,
0: yeah. Uh, but are so, right, it's a shitty film,
1: it is. Well, I was like, and you remember Jennifer Connolly's in it, and how could you forget her? <laughs> That's it, a- uh. So, the opening has like, imagine this if you haven't seen the film, just to paint the picture of what track 29 how, the feel of the film yep. is you have Gary Oldman early in his career, I think it's 89 or 87, somewhere yeah. in there. So, Sid, uh, Sid Nancy, Nancy era, era? you yeah. know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern before that, maybe just before that. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> and he's in a like a, a World War II pilot's. Helmety thing, yep you know, with the goggles and uh hitchhiking on the side of the road, and you have John Lennon's mother playing like this isn't you know your sweetheart film like John Lennon's mother is <laughs> one of the most tragic songs ever recorded, right like you don't get you don't get more tragic uh a uh, home life uh, autobiography than that, yep. But uh, so you have that and that, that's what sets the pace and so you, you know the story is that Teresa Russell had been raped and the baby was put up for adoption and and all the way through the film you're wondering is this the baby
0: yeah. is
1: Gary Oldman actually the baby right or is he has he chosen the wrong woman like because you look at them and you go well their age doesn't she doesn't look old enough they look almost the same age so right. there's constantly this questioning and there's like just Fucking it's just some weird scenes with Gary Oldman naked leaping on her and it's you know, wanting to get back in her womb. It's like (laughs) it's a fucking crazy movie, you know, with Gary Oldman in in the house playing on the piano. M is for the many things about her. O is for the only one I love, and whatever. Right. Crazy movie. M is for
0: the mercy she posted. For her tender, sweet caresses. H is for her that made a home. E means everything she's done to save me. R means right, and right she'll always be. Put them all together.
1: means the world to me. Uh, and I think just before that, he did a film called Insignificance. Right. And so Insignificance was a, a Canadian-English uh, co-production. Yep. The premise is, is that... It's set in the 1950s during the McCarthy, McCarthy trials? Yeah. McCarthy. Yep. Yeah, McCarthy. McCarthy. McCarthy trials. Yep. And Albert Einstein, they want his uh, experiments. They want, they want him to give up all of his research. Right. And he is refusing. So he's set in New York. And I don't know the, the actual historical things. I just know sort of tidbits of it. Yep. But anyway, so they want his stuff. And despite them, he throws, keeps throwing his papers out the window saying, you want it? Here it is. And he throws it out the window. And then when they're like, wow, you just threw away all your life's work. And he goes, it's all up here. It's all. And he's tapping on his head. You know, yep. like I know it all. Like I don't, it's just a paper. Yep. Um. So the premise is, the storyline is that Albert Einstein is in his hotel spending his days in these trials and one night Marilyn Monroe comes to visit him and by the way uh, nobody's named in this film it's okay. the actress the scientist the ball player the mayor like they're yep. all they're like theater roles right nobody actually has a name so Marilyn Monroe shows up in the middle of the night after going to a store and buying supplies and wants to explain to Albert Einstein how she understands his theory of relativity Okay. with flashlights and toy cars. <laughs> and it's amazing. Imagine the car is driving along 30 miles an hour, and he's flashing his headlights at the hitchhiker, and telling him to get the hell out of the road. Does the light travel at 186,282 397. 397 plus 30 miles an hour? Answer no. <laughs> Why? Because
0: the speed of light is always the same, Mm -hmm. right? Did you ever prove that hypothesis? (laughs) It's never been (sighs) disproved. Let's hope it never is. So, who (laughs) plays the? uh, Who plays these characters? Teresa Russell is again Marilyn Monroe. Right.
1: Um, The actor who plays Einstein looks just like Einstein. He's amazing. I've seen him in other things. A couple other things at that time, he did a lot of like sort of offbeat, you know, cinema. Yep. You know, so. Einstein has these trials during the day, but he's also having constant nightmares because he believes his science is what led to the uh, atomic atom bomb. bomb. Yep, And so he keeps having these visions of the world burning
0: right. and all
1: the people who died and he can't live with himself. And he confides this to Marilyn Monroe. Meanwhile, Joe DiMaggio is looking for Marilyn, you know, and he's a crazy, played by G- uh, Gary Busey. Yeah. And so he's banging on the door and she's telling him to get lost and he wants just, just, I just want to talk to you as he's trying to kick the door down, you know? Uh, and then the other part of the story is that you have Tony Curtis. Like, it's just an amazing cast, like yeah. considering, and that's That's the cast. There's nobody else in the film.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Tony Curtis plays the mayor of New York City. Right. Who is trying to, he, he's, you know, he's, I guess, dealing with Einstein, but he wants to, he's obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. Right, and so we see him outside of the, the of the hotel room, hiring prostitutes to dress up like her, <laughs> so he can have sex with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and then when he meets her, though, and she's pregnant, I guess in the story too. Wow. At, and Tony Curtis, when he finally is alone with Marilyn and he's trying to like schmooze her, he gets angry at her I can't remember what causes him to get angry and he fucking punches her in the stomach causing her to miscarry right it's like just this crazy movie so it's
0: like uh, you know it's a feel good movie it's a real the true true story it's kind of like when Harry met Sally but with nothing in common (laughs) when Tony met uh, Teresa
1: (laughs) such a good movie but there's great shots of like the world you know a nuclear uh, you know bomb going off and yeah such a great movie insignificance Make a great
0: play. Put that one on your list. Yeah, it sounds like a like a chamber drama, something that would make a good play.
1: Yeah, small cast. Yeah. You could do it with one room almost, you know. It's like uh Death of a
0: Salesman. Right. Um You'll have to do that for your for the school. That's right. <laughs> After we do West Side Story. Insignificance by <laughs> Nicholas Rogue. That's right,
1: and then we're gonna do Beyond the Valley of the Ultra Vixens. <laughs> hmm. The uh, so um, another film that needs to be mentioned because I think it was
0: his most successful film. Yeah, was the Witches. The Witches was Nicholas Rogue's most successful. film? I think so. Yeah. Oh my God!
1: From what I've gathered, it's the one that you know. It's the one that most people saw. Yeah. Because it came at a time where, you know, Adam's Family was coming out. There was all these kind of like. You know, monster, hocus pocus, and all these witchy movies.
0: Yeah, well, Witches of Eastwick
1: is around witches the time. Witches of Eastwick time. that time, yeah. Yeah. So people watched it. Now, the premise in Witches is like a, it's a gathering of a bunch of witches at a like a but like a uh, like a trade sh- not a trade show like a a conference. Yep. It's like a conference of witches. Yep. And one of one of the people present is a is a boy, and that boy is about, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old, 10 to 12 years old, say. Yeah. Maybe 10, 10 years. Let's call him 10-year-old. Yep. So he's 10 years old. He's got kind of blonde hair, messy, sticking up here and there. Yep. He has little round spectacles. Yeah. And he has a scar on his forehead. <laughs> and now, The Witches, I think, is like 1990. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Does that sound right to you? So 1990, The Witches, uh, yeah, 90. Um You know, there's this great tale of J.K. Rowling being on welfare and, you know, trying to be a single mom. She's divorced. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was at home one day watching The Witches, and she said, I have a great idea. (laughs) 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 I'm going to do a, you know, instead of a a conference of witches, now it's a school of witches. And she literally, and this is not to slight her, because the Harry Potter books are masterpieces, you know, and... She was influenced by a lot of things in the in those books that existed before. A lot of the things, yeah. Well, her original.
0: biggest uh, mentor was um, Roald Dahl, right? Oh well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, you can really see Roald Dahl in the Harry Potter books, just because it's there's a lot of high stakes and people get killed and it's danger. There's danger lurking in every corner, right? It's not just this YA shit you'd get that followed in the wake of Harry Potter. It's uh really you know, there's stakes, there's there's uh danger, there's peril, right?
1: Well and what's funny about that, it when you said Roald Dahl, it, it reminded me of something.
0: So I just clicked the button for witches and Roald Dahl wrote it. Oh, it's based on a Roald Dahl. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, so we come? <laughs> We have we pieced it together, man. So you're saying, holy shit, that's the fucking roadmap, man. Yeah, that's that's the goddamn Watergate, all wrapped up, man. (laughs) So Roald Dahl wrote the book in which the witches was based on,
1: who fucking created Harry Potter. J.K.
0: Rowling appropriated for, uh, and that's what led her to it. Yeah, and he's this little wizard kid. He's a little witch, (laughs) and you know, well, you might say it's based on the book more than the movie I guess and that like you said but, it was, the, but I don't know how he, like, he she's lifted there, there's stuff she's oh, lifted uh, from Roald Dahl right well there's things she's lifted from everywhere
1: like yeah. you know Nicholas Flamel and the Philosopher's Stone is historical it's a historical thing right yeah. it's from the yeah. so like if these things existed the the the, the big Things that suck your life force out, yeah. or like, you know, like none of these, like yeah, these really. ideas aren't necessarily original. It's how she's assembled them, right? You know, I've made this comparison before that the Harry Potter gang is very much like the Star Wars gang. Hmm. You know, you have Dumbledore is Obi Wan, and you have Harry Potter is Luke, and Hermione is Leia, and yeah. Ron is Han, yeah, right, yeah. And so it's sort of like you know these are in the same way that star wars also wasn't exactly original right you know these are the these are the the adventure stories with the gang of you know Jason and the Argonauts or whatever right
0: yeah. you need
1: your team you need your backup yeah there's only five stories you just keep recycling them yeah I hear it with a thousand faces right yeah uh but yeah so the the witches was i don't think it was a great movie no. but now that i Remember that it's Roald Dahl because I guess somewhere in my head I did remember that it was Roald. Um, It makes perfect sense in the story. I'm not a fan of the movie, but this the movie is it just just emits Roald Dahl, right? Just not necessarily his best, in my opinion, (laughs) right? Because he's written some just amazing books. Yeah. Yep. When
0: your father was a boy like you, and living with me here in Norway i told him about witches too so that he would always be aware now the most important thing you should know about real witches is this now listen very carefully real witches dress in ordinary clothes and look very much like ordinary women they live in ordinary houses and they work in ordinary jobs Every country in the world has witches, and there is a leader, a high witch of each country. And the ruler of all the witches is the most evil woman in creation, the grand high witch herself.
1: There's a great, I I recently read um, a collection of short stories by him called Someone Like You. Hmm. And I guess a number of them were made into short films. Maybe we talked about it in a um, Twilight zone episode or something. Uh, Anthology. Did we have an anthology discussion once?
0: Yeah, well, he Roald Dahl did two series that were anthology kind of thriller (laughs) series. One was called Way Out.
1: Way Out, Way Out. (laughs) That's where the fun is. Way Out.
0: Is that a Flintstones episode? That's right. It's the War of the Worlds one. We have to do a Flintstones episode. Uh, We just did. It was over now. And then uh, he did another one called Rawl Dahl's Tales of the Unexpected or something like that. Right. That was, that's the 80s. During that resurgence, you know, you had the Twilight Zone redone. You had Outer Limits. Uh, Outer Limits redone. You had Alfred Hitchcock Presents redone and then Roald Dahl did one. Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, uh, that was know. late 80s, I guess. Yeah, yeah there's... uh. So, witches. Yeah. There was
1: one story in Someone Like You, which was made, which is, I guess, about a guy who bets. And he wants to bet this guy's finger. And I guess that was one of the ones that was in one of these series. There was a few of them. But they were brilliant. Like, he's a brilliant storyteller. He's a beautiful writer. Yeah. And I'm sure The Witches was probably a much better book than it was a movie. Um, you
0: have to read it to your kids.
1: Well, you know, James and the Giant Peach, such a great...
0: You know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, classic. Amazing, both of them. Literature.
1: The uh, You know, when I was a kid, I whenever I think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I think of being like a kid in, let's say, 1977, yep. 78, somewhere like that. Yep. And uh, up in Orangeville, Ontario, there used to be this uh, annual event called the Freak Olympics. Okay. And uh, I went, my mother took me once, and it was basically a bunch of hippies and bikers and you know everybody smoking dope and having their own Olympics <laughs> with ridiculous running and yeah. things yeah and uh, I was reading one of those books I guess the I think I was actually reading maybe the Great Glass Elevator right um, and I remember sleeping in a tent at the Freak Olympics because everybody was just camped out on the farmer's land yeah so Roald dolls. Charlie the Chocolate Factory always make me think of the Freak Olympics.
0: (laughs) Makes you think of Orangeville. That's right. (laughs) All those potheads. It's a giant peach, not a giant orange, (laughs) Chad. It's a giant bowl, man. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Nicholas Roeg is an
1: amazing director. I haven't seen... I'm actually surprised that there's a couple of films on this list that I'd never even heard
0: of. Yeah, we'll have to uh, look them up. But I definitely would recommend Don't Look Now because it's... uh, it holds up. I think that might be the most, that might be one of the more successful yeah.
1: films. It had Donald Sutherland at, at, at the top of his game, too, yeah. right?
0: And Julie, I think Julie, I think it was Julie Christie was the girl and like mm. she was a huge star. But yeah, it holds up. You know, it's, you know, the clothes are dated and stuff. There's, but the way it's built, it's timeless. It's kind of a timeless, uneasy, um, off kilter you know dealing with lost things and premonitions of your own death and time and place it's amazing it's a great film uh but don't look now but it's time for this insignificant podcast to fall back to earth you like that chad it was i worked hard on very nice i did that all on the fly i didn't have any of that prepared we invite you to check out nerdstocking.com for an archive of our previous episodes, as well as a library of nerdstalking videos we've made. Please drop us a line at nerds at nerdstalking.com and let us know what your favorite Nicholas Rogue film is, or if you've even heard of him. Farewell. It's a little bit rogy.